Here's Johnny. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, a podcast where two friends talk about movies for the first time. And it's season two, Mike. It's season two. Uh, more time to watch movies than we've ever had. Than ever before. So we have a theme kind of for, for this season that have to do with isolation, right, which is pretty obvious, or movies that are really, really long that we finally have time enough to see. Absolutely. Uh, this week, we are covering Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, I know you're too big a Kubrick fan for me to say any more than that. So do you, you want to bring us in? No, let's start, let's start off, right? Because um, this is a movie that we've watched a billion times. But again, um, the way the podcast works is that Mike and I will allude to these movies all the time, but we never sat down and had a conversation. And that's what we hope you're joining us for here today. So um, the first thing we always do in the first segment is our overall impression. What struck out uh, this time? What stuck out at us watching the film again? And for this one, Mike, my thing was how quiet the movie is, how strange the pauses are in the dialogue, right? And how um, you forget how much Kubrick takes his time. When that woman comes out of the bathtub in room 237 and you hear the heart beating, the dum, the dum, that takes so much longer in actual time than it does in your memory when you think about it. And I think that adds to the great growing dread when you watch it. I agree with you. I think that there is maybe no movie that sticks in my brain as a series of still images the way that yeah. The Shining does. Uh, you know, if you open something like David Thompson's textbook, you always see uh, specific frames, and we'll talk about the composition of the frames and changing yeah. over the time. I think I about movies, I think like 90% of the rest of the population thinks about movies, which is in terms of clips. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. Wasn't it so funny when he said, but the way that I think about The Shining is a series of images, like just a random example. If I asked you for just to close your eyes and tell me the picture of The Shining, what image are you seeing? Uh, the two little girls. Yeah, and I, then and then you see the slit with him in the face. Yeah. Um, how good it, how good is it when you when you find out uh, that he's frozen in the maze yeah. and it flashes right? Yeah. So it's it's all composed around that kind of stillness, yeah. and I think that, that ties in really nicely with what you just said about how quiet the movie is. Yeah, even those things like Tuesday, right. Thursday, right? I mean, they're all really really still, and it, that's that's really funny because that that's what The Shining is. That's what the secret power is, right? Is that you see images. Mm -hmm. You don't see clips, and Danny doesn't know what those images are, right? Um, so that's kind of really, that's really funny that you said that. I was also reminded of your joke about the lighthouse, which was when we did our show about the lighthouse. You t you said in the episode that um, a normal person would have written about two guys who go in the lighthouse and they're totally sane, <laughs> and gradually they go into they go into the insanity. And but the great thing about the shining is that they're all messed up before they get there. That that, that is a dysfunctional family long before they arrive, and that the the hotel of course brings out their dysfunction, you know, in perfect relief. Absolutely. Um, the thing that I take away from the movie is uh, I've watched it a couple times with people who have never seen it before. Uh, and I find myself almost apologizing for that first scene where he's walking around the hotel, uh, talking about being the caretaker. Like, here's where you can take your meals. Here's what, because it's so bizarre. Yeah. I, I think if you were in that interview from the receiving end, if you were like, watch my hotel for a season and you talk to that guy, you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Time, I'm going to take a time out here because I it's- love, I love that interview scene more now that, you, now that you're old and you've had a couple jobs. It's so much better, like his, his phony smile, like, well, five months of 
peace and quiet are just what I need. Yeah. And like we've had a little, um, we should tell you about the unpleasantness here at the hotel. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got a new book project that I've been working on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's so painful how Jack has to sit there with that, fr that face on that it's, it's so dead on. I also, so so what, what was one of your other takeaways seeing it again? Uh, that is a, a, a creepy kid. And then let me, let, let me ask you, think of one other actress that could have played that better than Shelley Duvall. No one. No one. No one. Uh, he Not a single credit, person. But, but she's just as good as he is. I mean, she is great. Shelley she, Duvall makes, makes the movie. Yes. Her, I love her Vermont farm, farm girl outfits too, which, which are terrific, right? You know what else occurred to me this time? We talked about the creepy kid. At some point I thought to myself, um, this is not a boy with an imaginary friend. It's an imaginary friend with a boy. Yes. <laughs> well, well said. Like that, it's not some kid who has a funny little quirk. And I think that it's funny what you said about the family. Like you totally get the sense that Jack has been terrorizing that kid his whole life. It's not just the one time where he, he scattered the papers and he did, it wasn't a momentary loss of muscular coordination that, that that's been going on for a long, long time. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think, well, I'm going to sound terrible for saying this, but I'm going to go for right. it anyway. There's a quality about the kid and about that performance wherein uh, that kid is supposed to be intolerable. Um, I think that I think that the kid <laughs> grates. I think that the kid honestly grates on my on my patience um, so much so that uh, then I feel I feel disgusting watching him watching him get chased. <laughs> what are you uh, talking about? Yeah. You're the you're the. You're the one viewer who feels like who scores little Danny Torrance as he's being chased around the hedge maze. I don't. I, I want him to get a no. Not not by the end. Not by the right. end. I'm just saying when everything when everything flips on him. Uh, I do not relish the scenes um, of him being of him being super weird. Uh, I find them extremely extremely creepy. Neither, right, neither does he because he has what's what the doctor she thinks is an epileptic seizure, and when he's when he's seeing through the shining, his father going to two thirty seven and he's shaking his head and yeah, jumping. yeah, I mean, you feel terrible for him. Let's talk so, about go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. no, go ahead. I was going to say let's. I know we're going long in the first segment here, but let's go long anyway, right? So another thing that occurred to me is about um, we talked about the, the family and stuff like that, and we can get into like you know the, the people love to talk on you know is the are the ghosts real are they not real and how do they live right. in the locker? I have an answer for that too, but it also reminded me about how um, you know the movie struck me this time very much like Heart of Darkness, you know you have somebody who thinks he's all together, and then he goes into this place where he's cut off from everything else and finds out that the rivets don't hold them together anymore. And it brings out all of the stuff. And I kept thinking of Heart of Darkness. I kept thinking of Kurtz. And I kept thinking of Marlowe as I was watching this movie. You know, he goes to this faraway place. You know, he says it's five hours away from where they live. And that whether or not the ghosts are real or not, they unlock that door, you know, into him, not just the door of the storeroom. <laughs> they unlock that door in Jack and bring out everything that's been there the whole time. Yeah, I wonder what it would be like to be in isolation while it's snowing outside up in Colorado for a long period of time. It must be crazy. It must be. It must be insanity inducing. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you one one other thing, which what what struck me. Uh, this has struck me from the first time that I watched the movie, though, that I think that the haunting in Jack is that he doesn't have anything to to say. What do you mean? Which is, you know, he sits down at the typewriter and he he right. types out, you know, all all work and no play. But I think that there's a certain confrontation, which is even as you said, in regular life and in whatever their family life must be leading up to it. It's, it's always been that way. Yeah. So that was, he's never, he's never been a good one. And, and uh, you know, he says, uh, she says, Oh, do you have any, have any ideas? 
had a lot of ideas, no good ones, right? And so um, he thinks that he needs the typewriter and the desk and the cigarettes and the isolation, and therefore I'll be able to be a writer. Um, but of course, it's the flip side. The, the one thing he doesn't have is the talent. Right. But I, I think uh, you're, you pinpoint the exact moment because in anybody else, that would be seen as self-deprecating. Uh, but in this case, it is in fact spot on. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll see you in segment two. Okay, great. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, hey, welcome back. So for those of you familiar with the show, in segment two, we like to talk about a key scene or a big moment that's indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, I know you had one that you wanted to start with. Sure. I thought that, um, you know, there's a lot of famous lines from the film and a lot of things we love to quote to each other, uh, even in jest. But a line that really struck out, stuck out to me this time was when I kept seeing the film as about people's relationships to authority. And the scene where Jack is at the bar and Grady comes around the corner and spills the tapioca pudding on him. And he says, I'm sorry, sir. And he keeps calling him Jeeves. I love that Jeevesy. And they start, he starts wiping him with the hanky. Jack Nicholson says, you got a little on yourself there, Jeeves. And Grady says, well, you're the important one, sir. And it struck me how much of the film, this time watching it, how much of the film is about Jack wanting to feel important, right? He has no talent. He, ne he never did. Um, teaching was a way to make ends meet. He, he has a, a, a marriage that he doesn't, where he doesn't love her. He has this kid he doesn't know how to talk to, right? But so he's kind of this loser that wants to feel important. And that's what the hotel gives him. That's what the ghosts give him, whether they're the ghosts or they're his, you know, his imagination. It's that um, he, he gets to feel like a big shot. So when he walks into the gold room and they say like, oh, hello, Mr. Torrance. Good evening, Mr. Torrance. And even the way he talks to Lloyd, the bartender, like he has that kind of fake swagger. He's like, kind of slow tonight and laughs at his own joke, right? And it's like, uh, you know, you're the best damn bartender from here to Portland, Maine, or, or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Like, you know what I mean? It's like that fake kind of like belly up to the bar swagger. And he's like, your money's no good here, Mr. Torrance. And he takes his 20 and he puts it back and taps it down there. And he sticks it, you know, he does this whole, it's like Jack Nicholson's acting like Jack Torrance acting. And um, that's what he wants to feel like. He wants to feel like he has responsibilities. If I ever told you once, I signed a contract, my responsibilities to this hotel. And if you go through the movie, every scene is a character responding to an authority figure. Like you have the interview, you have Shelley Duvall with the doctor, you have little Danny talking to Scatman Crothers, you have um, Jack Nicholson talking to Grady in the bathroom, the Stuart Ullman stuff I said in the beginning. So it's, it's these people vying for authority and the big tension in the movie is the authority of the ghosts or of Jack's insanity versus, you know, other forms of authority like, like her motherhood or something. So that was my big line. Well, it's great. And I think a lot of what you said is encapsulated by him. I forget exactly which, but he says something like, we've got the run of the place, yeah. which, is yeah. what it, which is what it means. Right. You know, exactly. he's, got, he's got the run of the place uh, and, and then the place runs him. Yeah. Because he's because he's so obsessed. Yeah. Um, so what well, was your moment? What was your well, moment? Well, you got me now because I was going to say the the initial conversation that he has with Grady, the bartender, when when he walks into the bar, is if you had to ask me to show somebody a scene 
from The Shining um, that I enjoy would be that because it takes a lot of the wooden dialogue from the outside world and it takes the same, the same structure uh, and it, it shows you how ominous uh, the, the back and forth is. And it, it, those conversations had always struck me as weird yeah. and off and creepy. Uh, but when he finally talks to Lloyd, uh, you, you can see what you've been set up for. It's not like people talk differently in the outside world him, and then they, it talks differently on the inside. Right. Um, this, he, but he's on the opposite side now. He's the interviewer. Um, yeah. so, so I think that we were picking up on a lot of the same things. If I had to pick uh, another moment, I love when he's let out of the freezer. <laughs> um, and and, he, and he's, he's talking about what need, discipline uh, and what needs to be done. Right. Um, but I, again, I think that this, it's hard to pick a moment from The Shining because it's such a series of iconic images. Yeah. All right. So I'll see you in part three. Great. So welcome back. In part three, we like to talk about the end of the film or the title or, you know, other miscellaneous stuff we didn't get to talk about. So I just want to fill in, Mike, one thing that struck me again and this goes with the front and the end is that, you know, the house always wins. <laughs> That's what happens in this movie. The house always wins. And the house has been winning since the beginning. I mean, how great is the, are those shots of the Volkswagen, the tiny little Volkswagen moving in there? Because I kept thinking, whose point of view is that? is that and i and i take it that that's what the title is that the hotel shines but something that didn't occur to me and i must have seen this movie 20 times and this is my confession this is my no duh moment was they all shine is that not to get to you know not to get john lennon-ish but they all shine at the end so when wendy's seeing all that stuff like swell party and the guy in the bear costume it's because she starts to shine she just never knew she could mm -hmm. that starts to shine too so the whole family shines but only only you know danny seems to be aware of it in the beginning and i think that you know this business of the ghost being real or not regardless you know jack is the perfect vessel for them which is why, of course, they suck him in. And there's that thing tacked on the end about the reincarnation bit, which right. is a little bit like the um, psychiatrist and psycho explaining psycho at the end. Like when they're like, was Norman a, a, a transvestite? He's like, not exactly. Norman well, inhabited, you know, like that always struck me as like a, a weak explanation for the greatness of psycho. And I think that the picture of Jack holding that thing is a weak explanation for what happens in the movie. I, I'm, I'm with you, but I, I didn't, I don't necessarily take it as it's always been there. It, so I think that the character of Jack has always been there in the sense that it's one of the, it, it's a scene that draws the same kind of frustration with life that, that's going to be felt over and over and over. Like Jack, Jack is Floyd. I always took that to be that um, he's just been absorbed into the hotel yeah. in a way or, or been marked, marked as a victim. Yeah, he's a trophy of the hotel. That's what, right. the, what those pictures are, right? Right. The house wins, you know, things like that. And I also love at the end how he's holding up the sign that says like July 4th, 1921. <laughs> you know, July 4th, like no independence for him. No independence <laughs> day for today for Jack Barnes. You can't get away from your own ghost, right? <laughs> so what about you? What do you think? What did you make so of it? So I have a I have a secret question. Um, you and I have an you and I have an ongoing thing about Raging Bull that yeah. there's um there are movies since Raging Bull that uh, have been as good, but none better. Right. Uh, I have a, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that and we've been going back and forth, but in, in terms of, in terms of movies that are frightening and unsettling, can you even think of a single movie since The Shining, which is as frightening or unsettling as, as The Shining? In, in addition to being put, well put together as, as a film. Well, that's, I, I was going to say, you know, I think, as we know from season one, I think The Witch is very, very unsettling and very, very frightening. Um, and I think The Witch almost sustains the scare thing more, longer than The Shining does. Like, I, I, I'm too um, inured to The Shining by now. Like, I forget what it's like to be scared by The Shining anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, 
because <laughs> I've seen it so many times throughout my life. But that's a great question. I think that I can't think of a a more perfectly made, you know, terrifying film, right? But I think the ter- I think the Room Two Thirty Seven scenes that the terror center of the film and after that it's not so much scary anymore as it is you know unsettling or disturbing yeah i would agree that for example you mentioned the bear costume which is for me yeah. that it's it's super just a super unsettling yeah. it, it's it's you you she's already being chased so right. that you know what i mean so you're all you're already scared there's already inherent tension right. um it's just another weird thing yeah. that's so perfectly made but it totally belongs there yeah. Um, but it, 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 it's not where the, the, the source of the scariness, yeah. you know, and to your point, I think that, like, I think that the fright in the characters or the shine in the characters works, um, kind of like a radio station coming into focus, you know, like yeah. Dan, Danny's just super sensitive and picks up yeah. on it first and then Jack picks up on, and then Jack picks up on it. And, and the more tension there is, the further it's broadcast to everybody, like, you know, including us. Because, of course, as you said, this is about a series of images and we see a series of images. Yeah, that's great, man. It's like a radio. Yeah, they're crystal. They get better at tuning the crystals in the radio. Set. Right. And it's funny about the bear costume, which is like everybody remembers that. It's so unsettling when he looks up with it, like he's like on this bed. And of course, yeah. that's infinitely scarier than the room full of skeletons with cobwebs. 100%. I, I think that that's scarier than a river of blood. You, <laughs> yeah. you know what to do with the river of blood. What do right. you do with eye contact? Yeah. Right when that when that when that's when that guy in the bear costume stares at him and you know did you ever see did you see the movie on room two three seven no did you ever see it? it's a documentary about people that have um, crazy theories about the shining like what you know one guy is that uh, it's all about Stanley Cooper confessing that he filmed the moon landing and that's why Danny has an Apollo shirt on and stuff like that another person it's like it's all about uh, it's Cooper's comment on uh, the way that um, the American government treated Native Americans because of all the Indian burial ground stuff like that it's. Uh-huh. It's, it's not that good. I mean, I wish the people in it were crazier, actually. <laughs> I wish they had even crazier theories. But I think that um, I think that's funny what you said about, about the radio signal and how it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right, until the end. Uh, here's a question for you. This, is, this, this has always puzzled me, and I'm sure people have theories on this. What do you make of the posters in Scatman Crowther's house? Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, they're, they're totally unexpected but awesome, yeah. but it's, right, it's like right out of a black exploitation film. Yeah. Uh, but... So, you know, I made my point over and over about the series of still images, but yeah. if you if you ask me to picture him just laying on his bed, I see the po- like yeah, I see the posters his, in my brain. Yeah, with his feet sticking out. That's a that's such a great bit. That's such a great bit. So, all right, it was fun talking about this. All yeah, right. that what a wonderful film. Um I'm glad we had time to watch it again all things considered and uh you know, signing off from Colorado. So after we hung up, Mike and I started texting each other and Mike said, well, the one thing we forgot to talk about was that whole nonsense theory about whether the ghosts are real or not. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, let's start recording again. So this is a little PS segment we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna add on there. So Mike, what's your theory about the ghosts? They're definitely they're, real? They're 100% our ghosts. Uh, they manipulate the physical world. They let Jack out of the freezer. They do multiple things, including uh, have telepathic communication with uh, Shelley Duvall, 100%. Well, Shelly Duvall, I mean, it's like, it's like yes and no, though, because like everything else in The Shining, it's indeterminate. You don't know if they're actual really ghosts there, right? And, you, and everyone says, who let him out of the freezer? Who, maybe, he, maybe he figured out how to get out of the freezer. Who made those marks on Danny's neck? Maybe Jack did. It's like everything else. It doesn't matter if they're real or not, because you can't do the math all the way anyway. 
could we do the math some of the way? Sure. Um, so I ag I agree with you uh, in the sense that there are many there are many films that have a playful sense of ambiguity right. in which uh, a single character maybe experienced something or not. So I you know I buy um, that the turn of the screw is high art, and following the path of the turn of the screw is a is a good path to high art. Uh, I don't buy multiple distributed characters all experiencing the same thing which may or may not be uh in their heads because that is that's not a take on an individual psychology that's that's a phenomenon yeah no i don't mean to say that all three of them have the same exact psychosis and they all start to imagine uh things that happen like those girls did die in the hotel the hotel is a bad place right well, i don't want to go there michael um it is a bad place right for those of you who couldn't see i was just talking through my finger a little boy who lives in my mouth. Um, it is a bad place. That stuff did happen. Those kids did get killed there, right? If you shine, you're able to see them. But it, it is a quote-unquote haunted house, for lack of a better term. But the, the, it, it doesn't really matter. in it, 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 If they are um, ghosts, then they're the most perfect metaphor ghosts that tie into their characters ever. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. And, and uh, let me restate. Um, there are real ghosts who drive, but the point about Jack is that there's nobody sitting in the driver's seat anyway. Okay, fair, fair enough. You buy that? Fair enough, right? So fair. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I get that. I, go ahead. I was good. I don't, I don't mean to supersede everything about every character's failings by saying that uh, ghosts take over perfectly normal people. I'm saying that you would have to be a loser in the first place to accept that job. You'd have to be extremely frustrated to think that you were going to do what Jack thinks he's going to do. Yes. while he's at the hotel and that's what makes him such a perfect target but there is there is external evil acting yes. on him i think the yes. same as as we were talking about in the witch yeah so i think we agree more than, than than we thought there is an external force of evil at prey on these people it just happens to be a perfect metaphor metaphor for what he wants to do with his family and that's what they want to bring out in him right but again if it, it's it's interesting you never made me think about that before until right now that they don't really manipulate the physical world that much because like what is okay so what does the woman the mad woman that Danny says is in room 237, right? Like, what does she do? Like, she, like, tries to choke him, but he gets away, or she rips his sweater. Like, you don't really know what, what happens there, right? They don't, yeah, like, I think... Levitate, like, in, like, in Poltergeist or something like that. No, it's not, it's not like Polter, Poltergeist, but um, the, the ghost has a moment of frustrated violence, which uh, is are two words that I think resonate through the entire film. I'm not topping that, man. Frustrated violence. Excellent, excellent. All right, I'll talk to you next time. Okay, thanks for listening.